When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Season 2 of Temporary Admission. It's a new year and I'm pleased to say we've already got a pretty exciting lineup planned for 2022. From major exhibition previews at some of the world's largest institutions, to artist spotlights and everything in between, we've built a schedule that will delve deeper into some of the art world's most anticipated events of the year. But before we get chatting about exhibitions, and make sure to tune in to our next episode for that, an area that we haven't touched on yet and one that seems people have been increasingly keen to know more about, is that of diversity within the industry. So, this week we're going to be chatting with Gemma Rolls-Bentley, Chief Curator at Avant Art, to find out how much of a problem diversity and inclusion, or the lack of it within the industry, actually is, and what we can all do to champion diversity and inclusion this year. Gemma, welcome to Season 2 of Temporary Admission. It's great to have you with us today. Hi James, it's nice to meet you. Pleasure to be here today. No problem. I couldn't think of a better way to kick off season two. Now, before we delve deeper into diversity within the arts, I think it's always a good place for us to start to find out a little bit more about you and what it is that you do. So would you mind bringing us up to speed with what it is you've been up to recently? Because if I'm not mistaken, I believe you've just taken on a pretty exciting new challenge. Is that right? Okay, cool. Yes, absolutely. So as you just alluded to, I have recently started a new job. I joined Avantart last summer as the chief curator. And I've worked in the arts for more than 15 years. I actually started, I mean, maybe this is irrelevant, but I actually studied maths and AI and then changed my degree after my first year to art history, I was very lucky. I was studying at a Scottish university where you kind of, it's a bit like the American system with major and minor subjects. And art history was kind of my passion project on the side. And, you know, I just, I loved it so much. And that, that was definitely my vibe. And I guess it was at that point that you went on to study history of art at the Courtauld before Sotheby's then put you forward to work at Damien Hirst Studio. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I got a call from them to ask if they could put me forward for a role with Damien. His studio had got in touch with Sotheby's to ask for recommendations and they had be asked if they could put me forward, I think. And I was just delighted because, you know, it, obviously it was Damien Hirst. It was such a big artist, but, you know, he's also from Yorkshire like me and he had kind of defied so many systems and limitations and it just felt like a more radical part of the art world to be working in. So of course I said yes and when they offered me the job I I took it. I worked for Damien for about five years. You know I I kind of the studio was big when I joined. It was just before his Tate Modern Retrospective and you know production was really at a high I think there were about 200 people employed by Damien at that time across other criteria and I think probably four different studio locations between London and Gloucestershire 
And it was an incredible experience. I loved, you know, being close to Damien and getting insight into his practice and being able to be part of of him coming up with new ideas and making things. That just felt like such a privileged position to be in. And it was also, for me, just really important to learn so much about the art market and see how things operated. And, you know, working for Damien, you can imagine there was an awful lot to learn. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a great experience. It was really, really great. I, I was working in more on the kind of exhibitions and production side for the first couple of years. And then by the end, I was doing much more around kind of client services and gallery relations and really in the commercial part of the studio and the last couple of big projects I really worked on with him one was the opening of his Newport Street gallery which just opened as I was leaving and and then I did a lot of work on the exhibition that was called Treasures from the Wreck of the Unbelievable that was presented in Venice which was a funny one because that didn't launch until several years after I'd left so I had to kind of keep it keep it under wraps um, but yeah, that was great when that finally launched. I bet. And also quite tricky to keep something of that scale under wraps for so long. And then it was at that point you you moved to Artsy. So why was it that you decided to, to leave Damien's studio? I, I was looking at that point for different roles and I kind of felt like I'd outgrown the studio and I wanted to go and explore more things. And I, I think I really wanted to be in an environment that a felt quite business oriented and would kind of teach me more about you know the business of art um and and b that a way a place that would expose me to more artists and different parts of the art world and so yeah i i applied for the role at artsy and it was just one other person working in london at the time legacy russell she kind of she left artsy to become the curator at the studio museum and now she's the executive director at the kitchen in new york but for the first couple of years it was just literally me and legacy in london kind of running around the city trying to convince galleries and other art um businesses that the internet was here for them and could serve a purpose and was not something to be frightened of and could be a really powerful tool in connecting with more people, particularly more collectors and bigger audiences. And I guess that now brings us to today, where obviously you're now at Avantart, which for those of our listeners that haven't stumbled across their Instagram just yet, has a following of over 2.5 million people and is where a lot of people regularly go to scroll and hunt for new artists and perhaps even go on to purchase limited edition prints or engage directly with the artists themselves. But for those of our listeners that haven't visited Avantart just yet, and I know we'll go and touch on uh, diversity within the arts very shortly, but what is it that Avantart does exactly? It's a creative marketplace and the goal is is to make it possible for a new generation of people to discover and and own art so that they can live with it and like you said we've got this huge online creative community of 2.5 million people and the majority of those people are under 35 and the people in that community are young art lovers collectors artists people with their own creative practice and as a business we partner with artists to make their art and their practice radically more accessible and so the, the core part of the business the way that we do that is by collaborating with artists to produce limited editions and that really ranges from sculpture editions works on paper hand finished screen prints um, 
and like you said it's a, the business it's interesting kind of making that move from artsy to avant-art you know artsy at the time was very much the biggest online art platform and i i think it really served a great purpose in bringing um, a lot of art businesses online and getting big parts of the art world familiar with the art with with uh, the internet but i think one of the things that artsy really struggled to do um, and m- many other art businesses have struggled to do is to really engage this new generation in a meaningful way. And so I started following Avantar a couple of years ago and I was just kind of sort of stopped in my tracks a little bit to see this huge but highly engaged community. It's really interesting when you see, you know, the Instagram account that Avantart has. There's, there's two accounts. There's an Avantart account and then an Avantart Insiders account, which is mostly collectors who are on that that account. But both of the accounts, when some when an artwork is posted, you see so much dialogue in the comments, and it, it's I find it very interesting. I, I've been talking about it as kind of a new form of art history because it. It just allows anybody to enjoy, appreciate, think about and have a critical response to art. And it also gives them the proximity to the artists and the makers through, you know, I think that's one of the great things that social media gives us in general is kind of proximity to different people, but particularly those influential people and people who inspire us. And I think that's been really powerful to see Avant Art do that within that, that relationship between artists and their their fans, their collectors. Yeah, and it definitely feels like there's an approach there to putting artists in the driving seat. But why do you think that is as such? My own kind of entry into the art world was through that relationship with artists. And so I've really been passionate about artists being you know, put first and being central to everything within the art world, which is much rarer than it should be, artists being put first. And I've been truly inspired to see that at Avantar, you know, right from kind of the creative production process. We have this incredible team of creative producers who are so dedicated to helping artists realise something new and exciting that really pushes the boundaries of their practice in an accessible edition format so yes you know from the creative production process right through the financial agreements the way we build campaigns and the storytelling that we do around the the works that we're producing artists are very much front and center and it it feels like a really exciting environment to be in and actually I hear that a lot from artists you know this is so many artists like Jenny Holzer who's an artist that we've collaborated with on two uh, very exciting projects now has, has given some kind of amazing quotes about the people at Avant Art just being like no one she's ever collaborated with before in the art world and I hear that a lot from artists and it, it feels much fresher than it should and I hope that other art businesses will be inspired by Avant Art's approach and you know yeah thinking ahead I mean there's lots of different things that we're working on very exciting you know I'm sort of as a curator, I'm thinking very much about um, how we deliver our mission within kind of both the digital and physical spaces within which we operate to really make sure that as many people as possible can experience art and that we, you know, are building a big 
kind of commercial business so that as many artists as possible can make a living from their practice. So there's kind of different elements to the programme that will be kind of launched throughout the year, thinking about that. Um, And then thinking about our core additions business there's some really exciting collaborations coming up we've got a really great collaboration with Hebrew Grantley Thomas Sanchez who is an artist that we've worked with on a few different releases we're doing a timed release with him which would be really exciting we did our first timed release uh, with Jose Parla at the end of last year and that's great that's a, a artwork that's released over a 24-hour period and the number that people buy is the number of the edition. That's really cool. I love that concept. It's really exciting. It means that we can price our work quite low and make it incredibly accessible. Like that work was around 400 euro. And we ended up selling kind of over 1500 editions of that one. And that's so many people told me that that was their first purchase of art. And it, it just felt like a really brilliant way to um, allow people to live to buy art and live with it so yeah we have a few of those coming up this year but Thomas Sanchez is the first one later this month we've got a really nice collaboration with Tomo Gokita that will be great we're launching that um, around the same time as uh, Freeze LA we've we've got a really nice series of prints um, that we're doing with Kwesi Botchway that will be super exciting and then another artist that we're working with that I'm particularly excited about um, is Hideaki Kawashima. That's going to be the first ever hand-finished print that the artist made. And that comes out next month as well. So, yeah, some really exciting stuff and stuff, you know, art for everyone, like whatever somebody's taste might be. You can find it here with us, which feels really exciting. We really have a, a democratic approach to curation putting very well-established artists, you know, museum-level artists, artists with a big market, alongside artists that have like a hype following and street artists all kind of together within one programme. And that probably leads us perfectly on to what I think we're all here to find a little bit more about, and, and that's diversity and inclusion within the art industry. And one of the reasons, Gemma, I was so keen to chat with you today was because you're definitely known for opening the art world up to new voices and new talent. But how much of a problem do you think the lack of diversity within the industry really is? Yeah, I think it's an incredibly important question. And I think we've seen really, really fantastic work around this. I think the museums and institutions have taken a very thoughtful and responsible approach to diversity and inclusion within their programmes, which feels really exciting. I think there's a lot of areas within the art world where we're still kind of waiting to see things catch up. It's interesting as well to see how um, how slow the market is to catch up as well. It's actually this year is the 10-year anniversary of a campaign that I led with the Fawcett Society that was called um, the Art Audit. And we looked at gen- gender representation within London's galleries and museums and institutions and what we found when we were looking at that was that really non-male artists made up about 25 to 33 percent of artists that were either commercially represented or had big solo shows and there's been a few different people that have kind of revisited those numbers no one has sort of had time yet sadly to do a, a survey that's as comprehensive as that But I think in doing that, and we had a lot of press attention around that campaign, you know, it was really important to um, 
think about what the challenges might be that we're facing, you know, female identifying artists, um, non-binary trans artists, you know, we know that artists who come from different backgrounds, you know, and, and whether we're thinking about gender or more broadly around race, class, sexuality, kind of the different factors that make up an artist's identity, you know, definitely create different challenges for an artist. And it's really important, I think, that as curators, we think about that and we take it as our curatorial responsibility to seek out those artists who might have faced bigger challenges. And it's just so important for everybody that we see that diversity in the arts more broadly, because everybody needs to see themselves represented in the same way that we do in popular culture and kind of television and film. It's so important that everybody has an opportunity for that identification. And art is so powerful and it really can be such a powerful tool for creating empathy and for discussing ideas and kind of sharing sensitive topics and political themes that everybody should have access to that space. I actually couldn't agree more. I think without sounding like a typical arty farty, I do think there's such scope for art to really prompt a conversation about diversity and inclusion that perhaps, you know, you couldn't have had or or maybe even considered previously. But now you're clearly in a position where, frankly, you've got the curatorial influence to prompt those discussions and and bring new voices to the forefront. So how do you plan to bring or or even work with creators to champion diversity within the arts and bring a diverse programme to life, I guess, and, and make art as accessible as possible? Yeah, I think this is really exciting, actually. We're building a programme for a truly kind of global and diverse audience. And so it's really important that the people who are contributing to that programme come, you know, and bring all different perspectives. You know, I'm, I'm kind of building a system that allows us to have that real diversity of perspectives around the table. So... You know, I have a team of people that work with me, really fabulous, fabulous team of people. Uh, You know, we have a large curatorial network. We've done some curated launches already with different people. Larry Osimensa, who's based in North America, um, really, really brilliant uh, curator who works with um, a lot of uh, African-American artists, but also spends a lot of time on the African continent, particularly in West Africa. And he really kind of shines a light on artists and he's been really brilliant to work with. We've done some really great projects with him and we'll be working with him again. Andrea Emmerlife, who's a London-based curator, did a series for us at the end of last year. She curated a project with Shola Ololodi, Shannon Bono and Tunji Adeyemi-Jones. And then we've got lots of different kind of partnerships, whether it's with individual curators or with institutions and benefit organisations, charities, to kind of bring in different artists, but also use our platform for kind of having different conversations around those artists and their practice and and often the causes that those artists are passionate about. It's so interesting, though, that you're um, mentioning the importance of creating a diverse team, because I know that's something that we've been focusing on. We've been hiring for a few roles at Queen's recently, and something that was important to us was completing unconscious bias training and making sure that 
those that were in positions where they were making those recruitment choices were as informed as they could be about their own unconscious biases and what that then meant that they had to be aware of throughout the hiring process. And I think it was actually quite surprising. I think even when I was doing it myself, my own results were not necessarily what I was thought they were going to be. So I would definitely recommend that um, people go and check that out. There's actually a really interesting and free tool um, that you can find. It's by Harvard University. And and I think all you have to do is Google Harvard University unconscious bias training and and it will pop up. But I definitely recommend that as many people as possible go and complete that because it takes only a few minutes and the insights I think you can get from it are pretty interesting and definitely worthwhile. Yeah, I think it's a really, really important thing for us all to be thinking about all of the time. And I think I think there's a couple of different things. I think one of the ways we have to tackle it is kind of internally within the spaces that, that we operate. You know, I, I think really carefully about building my team and making sure that I've got you know, like I said, people who have come and who've got very different backgrounds, different interests, um, different perspectives. And, you know, it means that sometimes some people might need more mentoring in other areas or kind of more professional development opportunities because perhaps they've not operated within this specific context before. So I think that's important is to look at how to have different perspectives within your business and being able to support the people that bring those perspectives um, at whatever stage of their career they might be at. Because I think it's very easy when you're kind of just putting a role out there and advertising to kind of end up looking at a pipeline of candidates who might be, you know, kind of very white, very middle class, often kind of very male in some areas and then very kind of female in other areas. So I think that's really important to sort of put that extra work in. And then I, I think in terms of artists, I, I think it's the same approach, really. It's the extra legwork that we all have to do. And I think, you know, we all have the tools, particularly now with social media and everything that the Internet offers. We have the tools to find the artists that we're excited about. And I think we're very good sometimes at relying on kind of the signals that tell us that something is good. But I I think I would urge everybody to work that little bit harder to find those exciting artists and make those discoveries and, you know, find artists from different spaces to yourself and really engage with their work. And I think that's it because there's actually such an array of amazing artists out there. And I think we all have a role to play to hunt out those artists that we love from all walks of life, but also making sure that as an industry, we're also considering how we can not only make art more accessible, but also make working in the industry more accessible too. And whether that be through mentoring programs or internships and making sure that you actually pay enough to those that are taking on board your internships to live in a city without actually requiring support from family members and and therefore in many circumstances making those fantastic opportunities actually prohibitive for many families that simply can't afford to take such a hit on the salaries in the short term in order to gamble on the longer term opportunity. But look, Gemma, I mean, I think we could probably chat about this all day and I definitely don't want to keep you for too long. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and chat with us today. It's been a really interesting discussion and I hope that everyone listening has also found it just as interesting as I have. Oh, it's been lovely to chat. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for inviting me on. Our pleasure. Now, that should just about conclude us for the latest episode of Temporary Admission. 
If you enjoyed the last 23 minutes, make sure to hit subscribe because next week we'll be chatting with the creator of one of London's largest institutions to find out a little bit more around the latest exhibition and what we simply can't miss. Until then, stay safe, speak soon. Mm -hmm.